And now for the Faith FM Breakfast Show with your hosts, Lyle and Lawson. Welcome, everybody. You're listening, listening on 87.6, or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning. A special shout-out to those who are living in the northeast suburbs, uh, South Australia. I'd say that's northeast suburbs of Adelaide on 87.8, on Kabbalah in Queensland on 87.8, and Ballin in New South Wales on 87.6. Lawson. Shout-out. Ask me what I'm thankful for this What are you thankful for this morning, Lyle? I listened to the most amazing Faith FM radio show yesterday that you have ever heard. Really? Yes. Why didn't you tell me about it? Because you're just, like, lame. Okay. You should have been listening anyway. Why do I need to tell you these things? Because I was was busy working. What would you you expect to be happening on Faith FM Radio but the most amazing programming? Of course. Like, I totally agree, but also, like, if we had the most amazing program of all time yesterday... Yes. Why wasn't I invited? Why, why weren't you there? Why weren't you hosting it, right? I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so for those of you who don't know, producer Shell, who produces the show, the breakfast show here mm-hmm. in the morning, and she produces uh, several afternoon shows as well, mm. is not just a producer. Get out. She's a radio host. Really? She has her own show. She did it, and when oh, and now I'm looking the- in the studio, and she's like crossing, crossing, folding her arms, like em- yes. embarrassed. No, she's she's doing an amazing job. So wow, yeah, definitely tune in Thursday afternoons, afternoon show there with producer Shell with radio host Shell. That is powerful. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Time for us to get into our quiz, Lawson. What have you got for us? According to First Peter, we must always be prepared to give the reason for this. 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you will go into the draw to win our amazing Bible, which is being drawn at the end of this show, so around 8 45. Of course, we'd love for you to listen throughout then. Take every single top opportunity to get another answer for the quiz in to give yourself a better chance at winning. Uh, but yeah, that is when we will be drawing the quiz again. That question was, according to First Peter, we must always be prepared to give the reason for this. 0491 Okay, let's jump into positively different news this morning. And Lawson's going to bring us some positively different news. Go for well, Lawson. I've got a question for you. Yes. What do you think there's more of? Mm-hmm. Stars in the Milky Way mm-hmm. or trees on Earth? Oh. Uh, how big does a plant have to be to qualify as a tree? Like, Well, I already know the a answer. Seedling. So. Is a seedling, is a seedling, is that a, if it's going to be a tree and it's a seedling, is that, a, is that still a tree? Listen. I would love. I would love for you to define this however you like. I'm. I'm. I'm going to go with stars. You're going to go with stars. I'm going to go with stars. Well, you're wrong. Nah, I knew I'd be wrong. There are more trees on Earth than there are stars in the sky. There's about three trillion trees on Earth and about two hundred billion observable stars in the Milky Way wow. galaxy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot less. So that is. See, I think if we included, see, I, uh, I was including planets. Uh huh. Sure. So if every star out there has as many planets as our star has, which we assume that they might, mm. then 
Mm. I'm right. Now, that I definitely, definitely was including planets. I just forgot to mention <laughs> Oh, okay, okay. Well, you're still wrong. You're still wrong. <laughs> uh, well, that question was very tenuously related to anything I'm going to be talking about today. I just wanted to hear your answer. I think it's just an interesting question. <laughs> you just wanted question. to make a fool of me. <laughs> yeah, that's this right. is Lawson wanting to make a fool of me in the morning. <laughs> that's right. No, I, I saw that someone asked that question yesterday, and I was like, oh, surely, like, stars. stars. There's billions of the things. But there are trillions of trees on Earth. This is a good thing. Yep, praise, may they praise may God. they all grow and be healthy, and may there be many more of them. And talking about trees and growing and healthy, and also in regards to water, as we've mentioned a couple times on the show, and as people would probably be seeing in the news, England is in a pretty heavy drought at the moment, and they're freaking out over. I think what did they say? It's like a like a hundred days in some areas without rain. They're like it's the end of the world, <laughs> which. That's bizarre for the UK. Yeah. That, I mean, that, is, that, 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 w- that would be really feeling like the end of the world in England. 100%. Now, for us here in Australia, we're like, oh, that sounds like... Summer. That sounds like a yearly <laughs> average. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, a lot of people are quite scared. But there was this story about this guy. His name is Peter Harden. He lives in England. And he decided since 1976... For the years since then, he's like, you know what? I'm just going to put tanks in my backyard of my suburban English home. I'm just going to pick big water tanks because one day they'll come in handy. Now, for those who know English history, you'll know 1976 is when they had a very significant and famous drought in England. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to chuck uh, like big water jugs in the back of my in the back of my house and just keep them filled up with about. 6,000 litres of water, which is incredibly impressive for someone who just has, like, a suburb house with, like, a garden out the back. Like, 6,000 litres. This is, like, uh, a couple huge, uh, a fair few huge tanks. Now, the thing that I found interesting about this, because it's like, okay, man, genius idea. You put tanks in the back of your yard. Now you have water to be able to water your garden and plants at a time in which the the UK, like the English government, has banned people from watering their gardens. Um, The reason he gave for doing this was because of his travels. He said, "Our like, this is a quote from him, he's like, our holidays abroad in Europe over 50 years frequently included cultural visits to ancient Greece and Roman towns. And we were always impressed by the huge number of domestic underground cisterns yes. that the Romans pre-built yes. to catch rainwater for very dry summers. That's right. And he's like, yeah, why don't I have this at my house? Yes, I live in England where it rains all the time, but what if it's dry? Why wouldn't I take the advice of the Romans who lived in roughly the same area? That's right. And we're doing this. Just go to Bath and see what the Romans built there. And so this is what he did. He also commented like he was inspired to do this because droughts in Europe were getting increasingly worse. Yes. He, He was like, you know what? I'm seeing a bit of a trend here. Droughts have been getting worse. So it's a matter of time before it's going to hit here. Yeah. And I'm going to be ready. I'm going to have... A massive amount of water. I'm going to have 6,000 litres on hand that I've been storing since 1976. So, you know, topping up since 1976 so that I'll have enough water to be able to weather any drought and keep my gardens all green and nice. You know, keep growing my veggies out the back. Now, I'm just reading this story and I'm like, dude, 
this guy needs to read the Bible, bro. I'm like, I'm like, he's like, oh yeah, there's really good like ideas from Greece and Rome, and also droughts are getting worse. I'm like, dude, th- I don't. I, you know, now the article doesn't comment as to whether this guy's Christian or not. Maybe that's the, the very thing that inspired him to do this. But at the same time, I'm like, this is a very practical response uh-huh. to do uh-huh. do. A Bible prophecy. <laughs> and see, the crazy thing is that there is so much that we can do to increase our water security, mm. but that we will never do because it hits the back pocket of governments too mm-hmm. hard. For instance, when I grew up in Tasmania, in the area that I lived, everybody was on tank water. Mm. Tasmania has fairly regular rainfall. It's not heavy rain, but it's reasonably regular, and so you could have, you could quite effectively live off tank water. We were on tank water. I think we bought water once, mm. which involved a truck going down to the Huon River, pumping it out of the Huon River, and then pumping it into our tank mm. because, you know, it's thr- flowing out of World Heritage National Park, and so it's pretty clean Yeah, um, and is absolutely awesome. So... Tank water for me was a normal thing growing up. Uh-huh. Now I move up here and you move into town and I'm on town water and I'm like looking at my water bill and thinking, okay, how long would it take me to get a return on investment if I swapped over to tank water? Mm. And then I realised that, well, actually it would never be a return on investment because I'm not really paying for water. Mm-hmm. I'm just paying for the fact that there is a water service that is provided mm. and I can't have that cut off. Yeah. And so I'm going to be paying that bill, same size, regardless of whether I've got the t- a tank out the back or, or not. And so, you know, the local council is never going to be able to afford to say, well, they're never going to, you know, be, have the courage to say, you know, go get a tank because they want to continue getting that money regardless of whether you've got water or not. And so nobody's going to go and get a tank which means that the next time that a drought comes around, we're going to be in trouble with water again. But if everybody had a tank... That would take so much pressure mm. off of our dams and our water supplies when the droughts come. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, along with recycled water. Mm-hmm. I mean, recycled water to me is just a no-brainer. It's so much easier to clean recycled water than it is to clean, you know, to have a desal plant and use massive amounts of coal to run a desal plant mm. to desalinate ocean water. Mm-hmm. And of course, building more dams. You know, there's so much we could do here in Australia, and they need to be looking at it in the UK now mm. because this is something that you know, with the way the climate's heading, is going to yeah, it's going to be there from they've, time to time. They've been hit by an unprecedented drought. Yes, in a time in which there is a trend towards unprecedented the, weather events. That's right, and it's like, hey, you know, here in Australia, we're getting unprecedented flooding, followed that- by unprecedented drought. Yeah, preceded by unprecedented fires and whatnot. Yes. Like, essentially, we look at our world, we look at the way that it's going, and also we reflect on what the Word of God says, and we can very easily come to a conclusion. Oh, so hey, cut down the trees that are close to your house and put in a tank. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Because when it when you know when you've got times like this when it's flooding, you can keep that tank full the whole time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I thought this was incredibly interesting. Oh, I had some other stories here that I haven't got time to get into. One particularly about a battery that Singaporean scientists have created that actually is powered by stealing water out of the air. Oh, that's pretty cool. Which is amazing. But hey, we're going to continue on with the show. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. 
Well, you don't have all the time in the world because you only have a limited amount of time to get your name in the hat for this Correct. week's prize, which is an amazing prize, and Lawson's going to tell you all about it along with the question. <laughs> this next one is making... The answer that's written here is making me laugh so much. This is like a pretty straightforward question, but the answer here is hilarious. What is the ninth commandment? Yeah, let me let me say this. I'll say this about the answer. The answer just says, don't blank peeps. Like, so don't do this particular thing. <laughs> what is the ninth commandment? 0491. Your answer right there might not be a direct quote from the Bible. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> but but Shell's just telling it to us straight. She's like, don't blank peeps. Like, don't do this particular thing. It's bad. 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. Of course, you will go into the draw to win our amazing leather, expensive KJV Bible with Mark Finley study helps in the front as well, which is a perfect way in which you can be enabled to teach people the Bible as well, which is an incredibly valuable skill. And I believe we should all be called to do again. That question was, what is the ninth commandment? 491 Six six nine. Okay, so in the United States, a former United States Postal Service worker uh, who was disciplined for refusing to work on Sundays has sent an appeal to the Supreme Court of the United States. It's going to be very interesting to watch this case, to follow, to see where it goes, and to see what effects has as it goes. If it goes, if it is chosen, if the Supreme Court chooses to hear this case. Mm. Okay, so this guy was refusing to work on Sunday. The appeal was filed by the First Liberty Institute, uh, the Church, the Church State Council, the Independence Law Center, and um, a couple of lawyers on behalf of Gerald Groff. They've stated that uh, his discipline violated Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 <laughs> by discriminating against Groff's religious belief. Mm. Title Seven. The appeal says it generally generally prohibits an employer from discriminating against an individual because of such individual's religion. Mm. It defines religion to include all aspects of religious observance as and practice as well as belief. So that's fairly comprehensive. Of course, it goes on to say unless an employer demonstrates that he's unable to reasonably accommodate. Uh, an employee's or prospective employee's religious observance or practice without undue hardship to on the conduct of the employer's business. Okay, and that's I think that's reasonable because you're mm. going to have some businesses out there that only operate on Sundays. Mm. That's the only that's the only <laughs> only day of the week that yeah. they operate. You and know, like, they might hey, be saying to get the day off. They might be operating at say I don't know a, a selling. Uh, burgers at uh, Sunday market, Sunday market, yeah, something like that. Traveling food truck, yeah, those kind of things. And if they only operate on Sunday, you can't go and apply for a job there. And when you get denied a job there, or if you're upset, already working there yeah. and you you are converted to a Christian religion that worships on Sunday, you can't get upset about and say, "Well, you need to still employ me," mm. because it would bring the business to an end. Mm-hmm. What the legislation says is that if you can reasonably accommodate, like if you can say, well, you can't worship on, you can't work on Sunday, but can you work on Saturday instead? Mm. Or can you do extra hours during the week to make up for Sunday? Mm-hmm. If, you, if there is a reasonable way of accommodating it, then you should be allowed to have your day of worship off. Now, this is the United States Postal Service. This is a massive, massive company. 
And to claim that you can't reschedule Mm -hmm. in a company that is that large and create, you know, a shift system where you can get a day of worship off, that's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the Mm -hmm. First Liberty uh, Senior Counsel Stephanie Taub argued in a statement, no American should be forced to choose between their religion and their job. Randall Wagner of the Independence Law Centre added... Observing the Sabbath day, well, actually, Sunday is not the Sabbath, but anyway, that's discussion for another time. Mm-hmm. But observing the Sabbath day is critical to many faiths, a day ordained by God. No one should be forced to violate the Sabbath to hold a job. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Groff was forced to resign from his mail carry job uh, back in 2019 after his religious exemption was revoked and he began to consistently miss. Work shifts. Yeah, yeah. Now, he'd been working with the United States Postal Service since 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it, the problem didn't come up until the United States Post uh, Office decided to partner with Amazon in 2015. Mm. And the moment they partnered oh, with Amazon, sense. they had to deliver packages on Sunday. <laughs> Jeff Bezos, overlord of, you know, the. the <laughs> There you go. <laughs> this just proves... I don't know if you ever spend time on Twitter. I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter. In fact, I don't even have an account. I just go on Twitter occasionally to look at memes and, and jokes. And it's like, this is one of the most persistent ones. Is Jeff Bezos being like an actual robot who will kill... Well, they, you know, they call Mark Zuckerberg a robot, but they're like, he's a robot who will like beat you up for like doing... Taking any breaks at work or anything like that. Like, that's the consistent joke people make about Jeff Bezos. Oh, there you go. And it's like just proving those memes true. That's so funny. So, you know, I got, I've been getting packages on Sundays lately. Have you noticed that? I don't know what I'm getting packages, to be honest. I've just been ordering them because I've been doing this engine conversion and buying parts. And they've been turning up on Sundays. On and I'm like, Sunday. what on earth? Anyway. Well, there you go. Um, it's a thing, apparently, now. Uh, so, so, Groff. Requested and was granted a religious exemption. Uh, he would cover other shifts during the week and on Saturdays in exchange for being off on Sundays. And then it was discontinued in 2018 when he moved to uh, Pennsylvania, the Holtwood, Pennsylvania office. Mm. And they said, nope, you can't do that. And so he was forced out of his position. Mm. Okay, the US District Judge Jeffrey L. Shamel initially dismissed Groff's suit in uh, 2021 argued that Groff had not successfully shown that he was treated differently with regards to Sunday because he was a Christian. Then in May, he appealed the case to a three-judge panel of the U.S. Third Circuit Court of Appeals, Mm. and they ruled two to one in favour of the United States Postal Service. So now it's been appealed to the Supreme Court. be very interesting to see what position the Supreme Court makes in mm. relationship to this and also in relationship to what the Bible says, Revelation chapter 13, in relationship yeah. to Sunday. Mm. You can kind of look at this in two ways mm. because if the Supreme Court defends Sunday, they create a precedence for also defending Saturday. Mm-hmm. If they don't defend Sunday, then how does that work with Revelation 13? Be just, I'm just, I just really want to see how yeah. this goes. I can see a situation in which, because right now it's like culturally acceptable. Well, in this particular workplace, they're like yes. the culture is that you work every day that they tell you to work. And if you don't, even on religious grounds, they're going to 
chop you like that you're done mm. uh but then it's like ultimately that dictate of whether you can work on a day or don't work on a day is ultimately made by not only the company itself but also enforced by the government because this the- is a very this is a very small case really mm. but it could trigger something very big mm-hmm. yeah i just don't know what but i think if if the if the court of appeals doesn't support this guy Ultimately, the, the precedent that's being created is that it is the the government and the employer who decides what you can or can't practice in regards to your faith and mm-hmm. in regards to the work mm-hmm. that you do. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yes. Watch this space. Okay, so Missouri School District has decided to reinstate uh, corporal punishment policy, allowing educators to discipline students with a paddle for the first time in 20 years. Wow. Okay, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Our number is 0491064669. Spanking, do you do it or not? Lyle Have you done it to, or not? Lyle just wants to beat up children. Nah, I'm just joking. That was a joke. That was that was a joke. It was not a nice joke. That was... <laughs> not a, no, I, okay, okay. I want to balance that by, by saying this. Oh, oh I want to actually... Okay, so basically what they're doing here is that they wanted to create something that was somewhere between a harsh word and suspension. Okay, because too many kids were getting suspended and the parents were saying, well, just bring back spanking and you'll be able to have something in between. Hey, this is this is the problem that I have with that. Mm. Why don't the parents do it? Well, this is another this is another option, although, you know, it's a little bit hard for a parent to do that directly when it is something that is taking place at school yeah. and the parent doesn't see and doesn't understand the context and so forth. A lot of parents would be reticent to do so and would be like, well, you were the teacher, you were there, you were in charge of that wow. classroom, you saw the mess up, and so the parents have stepped in and asked for it to be reinstated, and so they have. Wow. Okay, the Supreme Court ruled that corporal punishment was constitutional in 1977. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We're about to jump into our interview of the day. Before we do... We're going to have another question for our quiz. You're starting to run out of opportunity to get your name in the hat. It's going mm. to be an ama- well, it is an amazing prize this week, leather-bound uh, King James Bible mm. with Mark Finley study helps in it. So. That's right. In describing the death of his friend Lazarus, Jesus says Lazarus was blank. 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. And again, that question was, in describing the death of Lazarus, Jesus said Lazarus was blank. 0491-064-669. All right. Joining us on the phone this morning is Dr. Sven Erstring to talk about apologetics. Dr. Sven Erstring, welcome to the show. Good morning, uh, Lyle and, and Lawson. Good to be back with you th- today. We always enjoy the segments that you bring to us each month, and this week we're talking about the impact of Jesus. So I guess, you know, when you think about Jesus as an individual who preached for three and a half years before he died, you know, it wasn't a long time to have a significant impact when you compare that to other great religious leaders that spent their lifetime promoting their uh, religion, but... Okay, let's think about, you know, secular people, historians, politicians, and so forth. Is Jesus recognized as having had a major impact on our world? Yeah, yeah, Lyle, uh, that is so true. And I just want to actually explore that uh, that with you, you know, <clears throat> what has been the impact of Jesus. And 
um, you know, one of the most powerful things is is not only what someone says about themselves uh, or writes about themselves, but what other people say about them yes. uh, and their their testimonies. And and I just want to to share with you a few different um, perspectives and, and testimonies about Jesus from a number of different angles. And the first one I want to do is is um, take you to the uh, the French general and emperor. Uh, Napoleon, um, fantastic uh, leader and, and great military strategist. Um, and, and, you know, someone who you look back at history and you go like, wow, he's achieved amazing things. But this is what Napoleon wrote. I know men. And, of course, he did because he, you know, he led armies. He uh, led entire governments. He, he ruled the, the empire. And he said this, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. Uh, but then, then it goes on to analyze how did they do it? But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? And he's very honest. He says, upon force. They, they achieved their greatness by forcing people uh, to be their subjects, uh, to, to be part of their empires. But then he, go, he turns to, to Jesus and says, well, how did Jesus do it? And this is what Napoleon says, Jesus Christ found his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men and women would, would die for him. And that's just incredible. That, that's a testimony from, from a military strategist in history. Mm, it's, it's very powerful when you think about the fact that, you know, Napoleon was somebody, you know, he mentions force there. And if you look mm. at the size of his empire, yes, it was a very, very significant empire at its height. But when you look at the effect that Jesus has had and you look at how many Christians there are in the world, and we need to remember that Jesus is also well-recognized within Islam, that's half the world's population. No empire has ever come anywhere near that. And he did that. Jesus did that without taking a single life. Mm. Well, the the interesting thing is that when you talk about taking one's life or laying down one's life, the way Jesus did it, of course, is by um, giving up his own life uh, for, for that empire. Uh, whereas none of these other, uh, you know, these, these military strategists and empire builders would have done that for a simple reason, because if they'd given up their life, um, it would have been all over. Uh, and for many of them, that's exactly the case. Uh, but for Jesus, he died, and that death um, and resurrection actually built um, what was the, the cornerstone of his empire. Jesus is the cornerstone, but that very active self-sacrifice is incredible. But I want to go on to, not only to the military strategist, I want to go to uh, a theologian historian, Philip Schaff. Uh, and he, uh, you may not know him so well, but he actually comments, he builds on what Napoleon said. He said, Jesus Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander the Great, Caesar, Muhammad, and Napoleon, without science and learning, he shed more light on things human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of school, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since, and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet. Without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of arts and songs of praise and the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. What he's saying is that, you know, he had almost nothing. He didn't do 
very much. He didn't write anything. He didn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, he didn't share great science, but he's had a huge impact, particularly in, you know, writing, but also in literature and music as, as well. It's incredible. Yes, indeed. It, it's, you know, and, and Philip Schaff, I, you know, he might not be well known to the average person on the street, but to anybody who's, in, who's you know, involved in theology and history, you know, he's definitely one of the most, I guess, well-known historians out there. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. What, about, what, about, what, about but, Jewish, what about Jewish writers? I mean, Jewish people historically have been at odds with Jesus because they don't recognise him as the Messiah. And, of course, from their perspective, he's somebody who has irreparably damaged their religion. What are, how, mm. how, are there Jewish writers who have looked at Jesus and recognised and been willing to recognise the impact that he's had? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So there's Sholem Ash, um, who's a Jewish writer, and he, he says this, Jesus Christ to me is to me the outstanding personality of all time, all history, both as son of God and as son of man. So he actually believes what Jesus said, and, and there's, there's Jews who have come to accept Jesus as Messiah. Yes. Uh, and he goes on to say, everything he ever said or did has value for us today, and it is something you can say of no other man dead or alive. There is no easy middle ground to stroll upon. You either accept Jesus or you reject him. You know, you think of, of Napoleon. You can, you can study his uh, military strategies and his history. Um, but, but in terms of your, your daily life, you probably don't give Napoleon much of a second thought unless you're, you know, uh, studying history or you're teaching history at, at, at a um, university somewhere. But, but literally what Jesus said is, is makes a difference uh, <clears throat> contributes to what we do every day of our lives. And, and millions of people have recognised that. And one of the things, that you, if you look at Napoleon's empire, it lasted for a very, very short space of time. When you look Correct. at what Jesus accomplished, he took a religion that without him would have been restricted to you know a very small group of people in a very small nation in the Middle East, uh, the worship of Yahweh, which you know, goes back 6,000 years and made it into something that now half of the world are looking to Jesus and the worship of God as a result of his influence. That's, that's just massive. Yes, and, and many Jewish um, historians actually uh, are turning to Jesus and saying he, he was a Jew, he, he, he's one of us. Yes. Um, then there's uh, not only do you have uh, the, the sort of military strategy and, and, and the art and all of that kind of thing, but there's also the writings about Jesus. And, and Kenneth um, Turiat, who was the editor of Newsweek, actually focused on this. This is what he said. It's, the evidence, it's evidence of his importance, of the effect that he's had upon history, and presumably of the baffling mystery of his being that no other life ever lives on this planet has evoked such a huge volume of literature among so many people and languages. And that far from ebbing, the flood continues to mount. As the centuries pass, the evidence is accumulating that measured by its effect on history, Jesus is the most influential life ever lived on this planet. The influence appears to be mounting. No other life lived on this planet has so widely and deeply affected mankind or people. Uh, so what he's saying is that, you know, the, the number of books just written about Jesus uh, is is incredible. And, and the interesting thing is that, you know, that, that is, as he said, growing. So there's more, been more books written about Jesus over the last 200 years compared to the, over the, the, the 2,000 years. So, so people are just going back 
to this incredible person. It would be interesting to compare that with a number of books written about Muhammad and Buddha. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, and, it, and I, think so, I think that you know, with due respect to to those guys and to the good that they were able to speak about, I think that the number of books written about them would just pale into insignificance compared to the books written about Jesus. Yeah, the, the pile of books about Jesus is just growing, growing higher and higher, um, and and people just are, are drawn. Uh, to the life of Jesus. Now, the other thing too is not only the books and the, 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 the impact, but also what about his moral influence? And the, the historian William Leckie has uh, made this comment. The character of Jesus has not only been the highest pattern of virtue, but the strongest incentive in its practice and has exerted so deep an influence that it may be truly said that the simple record of three years of active life has done more to regenerate and to soften mankind and all the disquisitions of philosophers and all the excitations of moralists. So what he's saying is, you know, you, you can write books on, on ethics and morals. Um, and indeed, uh, Lyle, that's what's happening in our schools. We, we have ethics classes. And, uh, but the fact is this, is that it's dry, Lyle. It, mm. it's, um, it's theoretical. It's abstract. It's kind of disconnected from reality. The, the difference with Jesus is that he didn't just write uh, books of ethics like some of the other world religions, like you know Buddha, for example. Jesus lived a moral life, a self-sacrificing life, and, and his commitment to make a difference in other people's lives and even give up his own life has, has transformed millions of men and women down through through history it's it's really really stunning yes and almost you know you can look at the history and how that you know you go back pre-jesus our world was a horrific place you come post jesus and you see this gradual transformation take place into a much more civilized way of looking at other human beings doctors van erstring i wonder about okay so we've looked at a bunch of different categories here but what about the really genius people like the the true um you know, the people of just giant intellect. We yes, often look yes, at them no, as being people who kind of move away from Jesus, reject Jesus. Is that true or not? Well, I'm glad you asked that because that, that leads me to the, the person of Albert Einstein. And we all know that he is one of the, the world's greatest scientists. Probably, uh, probably yeah. alongside Sir Isaac Newton. Exactly, exactly. And they did a study, um, a survey of scientists, and they said, who are... Um, who has been the greatest scientist? And Isaac Newton, Albert Einstein were were right there, neck on neck, right at the right at the top. And this comes to um, a very personal comment that he made. Um, you know, normally we know Albert Einstein as as you know uh, theory of relativity and and just you know uh, looking at physics and cosmology. But he comes back and he says this: as a child, I received instruction both in the Bible and in the Talmud. I'm a Jew, but I'm enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such light. And so he's really, he's speaking um, as, a, as a scientist looking for evidence. He, he's looking at this and saying, this is no um, science fiction. This is no myth. There, there's a real person behind 
these gospels and 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 you feel his presence even as you read the gospels it's it's an amazing personal statement um that, that he makes and, and then to, to move on to to another whole category and that is music i mean we love music don't we and celebrities um, love celebrities exactly exactly i mean I love listening to the music as I wait for the, uh, you know, the, the interview when I come on to Faith FM. But this is Bono, uh, Bono, um, a singer who, you know, you, you go to YouTube and, and you watch him singing to tens of thousands of people. And this is what he says in an interview. I don't think to let off easily by saying he was a great thinker or great philosopher because actually he went around saying he was a Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the son of God. So he either, in my view, was the son of God or he was nuts. You know, forget it, uh, about rock and roll messianic complexes. I mean, Charlemagne Manson type delirium. And I find it hard to accept the whole millions and millions of lives, half the world for 2,000 years have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some another. I just I just don't believe it. Yeah, so that's wow. him actually speaking to, to a... Um, to a, uh, you know, journalist, um, you know, a, a person in media, and he says, I just can't believe it, Lyle. I just yeah. can't believe that this guy, could, you know, was, was nuts. And, and Albert Einstein saying, I can't believe that this guy's a myth when I read these Gospels. Uh, this is fantastic testimonies. Dr. Sven Erstring, thank you for sharing them with us. I know we could go on all morning here reading from one to the next, and there are so mm. many more we could share. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.